What's your name? I'm Alexa. What are you in the mood for? River Radio. Now let's hear. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the River Radio Let's Talk Business show with me, Sophie Comas. I hope you're having a good week and that the sun is shining with where you are today. On today's show, I'm delighted to welcome Hedda Bird from 3C Performance Management, a motivation and engagement specialist, helping her experts to create to build high-performing teams. On today's show, we're going to be finding out a little bit more about Hedda, learning more about 3C Performance Management, debating and discussing some of the challenges faced in the small business sector today. Plus, we've got some great music and book choices for you as well. So, Hedda, good afternoon. Welcome. Thank you, Sophie. And that's, that sounds like a packed session for us. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. There's certainly a lot on the plan today. So um, tell us a bit more about 3C Performance Management. Where, where are you based? So we're based just up the road in Henley-on-Thames. Um, but I have a, a whole team who are spread over the Thames Valley all the way down from, well, Croydon, which isn't really even the Thames Valley, is it? <laughs> through um, through Bracknell, down to Farnham, out to Oxford. So you know, in the very modern way, we tend to mostly be home based, though we do have an office in Henley where we meet and gather to talk things through. Excellent. That sounds great. It's one of the definite advantages of experiences over the last couple of years, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> Excellent. So tell us about 3C performance management. What, what do you do and, and how do you help your clients? So we do help people with that thing that sends everybody running away screaming, which we <laughs> help them to sort out making their appraisal processes work. And what we know is that you can go if you're, um, if you're running a small business you can go and ask probably 10,000 management training suppliers to run you an appraisal training session or you could probably go and ask 5,000 HR consultants how to write an appraisal form but what we saw 20 years ago was that nobody was going why do we manage performance what we want out of appraisals and performance reviews what difference are we trying to make here is it a good idea to do performance related pay how do we deal with underperformance how do we set goals so People looked at all of these things separately and nobody was joining it up. So we set out our stall to join all those things up together and to help organisations, large and small, really think through how to get the most from the people who work for them on the understanding always that most people wake up in the morning and want to go to work and have a good day. Mm -hmm. And the things that stop them doing a good job are more likely to be caused by the organisation than they are to be caused by the individual. That, that's really interesting because some of the things you mentioned there, you'd think would be fairly logical to tie them all up together. But um, in- interestingly, you're, you've, you've seen that there's an opportunity there that that wasn't happening. So, And I think that's still there. We still today regularly get phone calls from people phoning up saying, oh, I just like a bit of training about goal setting. And I go, yes, that's fine. Let's talk about how you use goal setting, what you want out of it, you know, what will be different in your organisation when the goal setting is going really well. And very quickly, there's a pause and people go, oh, I hadn't thought of it like that before. (laughs) And then we can have a larger conversation about how all these things knit together. And yes, we might end up just going and helping people set goals, but we it helps everybody to really understand what we want out of all of these things because we've kind of learned that they're all just processes we have to do this we have to do this we have to do this mm. and so we don't think really why we're doing it all and then we don't create any value mm. yeah no that, that that makes a lot of lot of sense when you explain it in that way <laughs> <laughs> and I know you've got quite a unique because um, I know you go in and as you say you obviously do the review and the strategy yeah. piece behind what why people would want to make a change but you yeah. also then 
going and do training for people and you've got quite a unique way that you do that in in some cases we we do and it's a conversation that we have with almost every organization we work for because they always come in and say to us do you know um, will you come and train our managers and I tend to say well there's two people in every conversation so what about the other person because if this conversation is just being done to them then it's not surprising if they don't really engage and if they don't really want want to know what to do and so they tend to say what shall we do and and we have um my background is in theatre I'm sure we'll talk more about that at some point <laughs> I'm sure we will <laughs> <laughs> but so we work with I'm a group of actors that we've worked with for the last 15 years and we have created um, a theatre-based workshop where we're not asking people to act and role play so we have actors who do the acting and then the audience as our team say the audience get to be Steven Spielberg if you like or Aaron Sorkin or, or they get to direct the action and they direct the actors to have a better conversation and and it's quite Quite carefully managed so that they know they, it's lots of fun it's huge fun it's very entertaining but what actually happens is and, and people don't often realizing that in watching these actors who are managing their appraisal conversation very badly usually and need a great deal of help from the audience as the audience are telling the actors what to do they are of course telling themselves yeah. what to do and so when we have um you know participants who are mixed up of managers and and people on the front line and maybe even senior leaders one of the things that comes out is oh I didn't know they thought like that or I was amazed at what that person over there said to that actor about their behavior I had no idea they understood what that was all about Mm. and and many of the people who aren't managers get to see how hard it actually is to be a manager in that situation so that is one of the most popular things that we do and um and we like doing it because yeah, it's lots of fun definitely yeah and I guess it's I know we were, we were just having a conversation before we came on air about how um, in some organisations people don't necessarily know what good looks like yeah, so actually yeah. by almost showing people what bad is like and then presumably through the session things improve and yeah. you then get to show what excellent looks like actually by showing people and demonstrating and they can then mirror and copy that so that, that makes a lot of sense I, I think they do and so we show them what's not right and they tell us what to do instead. So it starts off lots of fun with a manager being on their mobile phone while they're trying to have the conversations. <laughs> we go, stop, stop, you shouldn't be on your mobile phone. But then quite often the act will go, but I'm very important. I need to be on my phone just in case somebody says something to me. And then the actors, the audience will go, no, no, you need to give this person your attention. And yet how many times do we hear people say, you know, I was trying to talk to my manager today, but they would, wouldn't put their phone down. So even things that, anybody can spot is completely obviously not the right thing to do seeing it acted out in front of you is that click of going oh maybe (laughs) maybe maybe, that's me (laughs) maybe that's me yeah yeah Yeah. no that's brilliant I I love that idea um so you know we've talked a lot that you you kind of mentioned already that you you go in and you kind of give people um a a kind of a strategy and a steer as to perhaps either a the the kind of ways you can help people or or responding directly to a particular challenge that they come to you with is there a kind of a case study perhaps I mean I'm sure every business is different but is there a kind of a case study or example that maybe just gives gives our listeners an indication of of kind of how it all works and, and kind of the steps in the process that you go through maybe so we're working um, with quite a large organisation at the moment in the um, quasi-public sector, so not full-on public sector, but not full-on private sector either. And they had had very traditional appraisals with um, 
performance ratings you could get one of nine ratings and depending on your rating you might get a bonus the bonus wasn't huge but but it was there um but nobody liked the system it created a lot of upset fewer than 40 percent of people got bonuses each year and it was always the same group of people so lots of people demotivated and when we did the research and started talking to people about you know what would you like to be different they all said well we don't really know what a good job looks like and we spend all this time having meetings and nothing ever changes so we worked with them and over six to nine months um, we took the senior leadership through and we we sat down with them on a very simple um, question and I, I would recommend this question to any of your um, small business listeners, we asked them, if we change how you manage performance, whatever we change it to, and let's assume that the change is brilliant, what will be different for your business then? So we asked them to think about not the process, but the outcome. And when you ask people to think about the outcome, what they began to say was, we need an organisation where we all trust each other more, where I trust people to do their job and they trust me to leave them alone and where we are focused on delivering the service that we provide to the general public in the highest quality way that we can rather than ticking the box that says we've done the things that we were supposed to do. That's really interesting so almost you're influencing the culture of the organisation not just actually how do I manage my direct report it starts to become actually where is there a culture shift required because those things you talked about there are fairly significant changes I imagine in, in ways of working. They are and it's very interesting you mentioned the word culture because so We've made the strategic tactical changes. So they've changed their systems. They've changed their processes. They've taken out their nine bots grid ratings. They've changed their bonus into more like what I call the John Lewis bonus scheme where everybody gets a share of the pot if the organisation has done well. And then we started on the training and we're training the managers. And yes, we're training them on how to have conversations and all the rest of it. But what we're really talking to them about is how we want things to be different. So not the processes that they're going through. Mm. And a couple of them have stood up and said, this isn't really about the technical process, is it? This is about how we are as an organisation and how we all want to work together. And some of the feedback, someone said, this feels like a real inflection point. I've been here 20 years and I've never felt a moment at which we could actually really change how this organisation feels. And let me be clear, this is an organisation that's successful, that that is highly respected and doing a good job externally, but internally it's a pretty tough place to work. Mm. And they really wanted to change that. And I, I think that it is about culture change, but I don't go in saying culture change, culture change. No. We go in saying, what do you want to be different? If you don't change how you manage performance, it doesn't really matter what else you change around the edges. You won't actually really change what people do. Hmm. But if you start changing how you manage performance and apply that to whatever strategy you are working on at the time, you will change the culture. And for me, the culture is something that comes out of the changes, not something you put in to yeah. the changes. That's really interesting because lots of other organisations look at it the other way around. Yeah, but do. that, you know, listening to you and, and explaining it, it's so it, it's really logical to kind of approach it that way around. I think for us, that's that's where it works. That if I want to change the culture, I've got to change the way that people interact and the way they work. And fundamentally, that comes down to how their performance is managed in all its breadth of behaviours, activity, tasks, drives for excellence. Yeah. 
Excellent. That's great. So, um, yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing that example there. That, that's really helpful. But, but what's, um, what's the story behind 3C? When, how, how long have you been established? And, um, you know, I guess where have you come from? <laughs> so um, I could link that all in with my career. But let's say, um, so about 20 years ago, I was working um, in, in London um, in what was then known as the dot-com boom. But doesn't that sound a long time ago now? <laughs> but I was a, and of course, the company I was working for went the way of all flesh, as they nearly all did. And I met up by chance with a chap locally who I had done management training with earlier on. And I said, oh, you know, you must be well networked into all the businesses around the Thames Valley. Have you got a job? Do you know of anyone who might look for someone like me? And he said, I could do with someone like you. (laughs) So I went to work for him for a bit. And as many of your small business owners might recognise, that didn't really work out because he wanted me to run the business, but he wanted me to run it the way he wanted to run it. (laughs) And so after three or four months, we both went, this isn't going to work. But I had discovered the training business and what an amazing and lovely industry it is. So I then said, well, I'm going to set up and apply the things that I know. Yeah. And I guess do it the way you want to do it. And do it the way I want to do it. And that's so we started off not being so focused just on performance management of doing a mix of management development and sales training and customer service. And we still have those things and we use them for some customers. But we realize that most people are not managing performance really well and they're not really thinking about performance. And I'm really interested in business and how performance connects to business. And when I did my MBA, I found it all fascinating the interaction between individual performance and organisational performance. So it's a great foundation for the kind of work that we do. Yeah, that sounds excellent. Thank you. I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about your business journey a bit later <laughs> on, but no, thank you for that. What would you say is the best part about your job? What, what do you enjoy most? So uh, there are two quite different aspects that I enjoy. One is I absolutely enjoy the flexibility that running your own business gives you. Hmm. Um, it does give you a lot of flexibility. Of course, there's the other thing that I used to find it very hard to take holidays and, and because I would be worried that I would miss something. Yeah. But I've grown much more confident. I've built a good team around me over time. So I like that. The other thing that I really, really like is I love engaging with my clients' problems at a senior level. So I'm sitting with a CEO and an HRD and we're talking through some of the knotty challenges that they face. I really, really enjoy those conversations. I find their challenges fascinating. I want to be involved. It's why we run a very bespoke service. It's not a kind of standard service at all because that's really interesting and engaging. Do you find there's common themes appearing at the moment or is it literally kind of most most challenges are totally different? Um, There are always common themes because organisations are more similar than they are different but they appear differently undoubtedly CEOs having been locked in their bedrooms for the last two years has made many of them um, greater tendency to micromanage there's been a lot more Mm. people trying to be a lot more controlling because they actually feel out of control in many ways and lots of organisations have had many people join them through Covid who they've never met so there's yeah. this whole development of culture and trust and getting to know people that has only happened in a very strange way in the last two years. And I think one of the reasons why organisations do want people to come back to the office is is to start building some of those relationships yeah. it, it must properly. Be, it must be really weird. I've, I've read quite a lot recently about kind of especially people who maybe have graduated from university, yeah. Yeah. starting in their first job. I mean, I remember my first job. I was in an office rammed full of people. It was yeah. buzzing. You kind of pick stuff up without really realising that you're 
kind of actually picking things up because you're listening to your boss on the phone next to you or you've got colleagues that are, are talking about stuff at the coffee machine so you know you're picking things up but actually when you're at home working in isolation you don't have all of that so you've sure. proactively got to say okay who do I speak to to answer this question or who do I need to involve in this and I can imagine that there's duplication happening that there's lots of you know that that could that could be quite hard so I can I can see and understand understand <laughs> that challenge um, so and I also understand you, you did some rather exciting things on Monday this week so I... tell the listeners what you did <laughs> so a, a little bit of backstory to that last summer I published um, my first business book which is called the performance management playbook published by Pearson very um, exciting very exciting we didn't have a launch party because it was COVID. Yep. And then in March, I discovered that I had been shortlisted for the business book of the year. Amazing. Amazing. And so on Monday night, it was the award ceremony. So we went and said, I took the team and we said, we're going to have this launch party that we never had. So regardless, because I felt like a winner even being there. And then I was runner up. That's and amazing. we were over the moon about it I was absolutely thrilled we had an amazing evening I have recovered I was a little delicate yesterday (laughs) I have recovered today but it was a very very special evening but it was lovely evening to be there and meet other authors and look at the extraordinary range of books that are being developed and everything from how to start up businesses through to dealing with social media at work through to mental health and well-being and obviously the the book that I produced around performance management um, was recognized so yeah it was a great night in London fantastic congratulations (laughs) thank you very much so okay so we're going to go to um a track quickly thank you so much for introducing us to 3c performance management and explaining a bit about what you do um i know you've chosen a track for us um would you like to explain what it is and who who it's by (laughs) so um i chose a track from madonna and we've chosen material girl i could have chosen loads Um, (laughs) i think madonna um is an amazing woman she is one of the very first women in the pop industry to take true ownership of her career and I think what she's done to build her own brand and to build her own business and to stay in control has been um, an absolute icon and an inspiration to many of the women who came after her and showed that you don't have to be at the mercy of the studios you can own your own output and I think you know well done her and I love the music (laughs) (laughs) excellent that's brilliant thank you very much so we've got Material Girl by Madonna
You're listening to Sophie Comas on the River Radio Let's Talk Business show. Thank you for listening in this afternoon. Today we're joined by Heather Bird, a motivation and engagement expert from 3C Performance Management. So far we've introduced a little bit about 3C Performance Management, who they are and what they do and how they help their clients. Don't forget if you have missed part of today's show, you can listen to the show again on Catch Up via the website, river.radio or as a podcast via all of the usual places. And of course, if you'd like to get in touch about any of the discussions we're having on the show today please do drop me an email to sophie at river.radio so Heather, welcome back thank you um so at this point in the show um we've obviously introduced you a little bit at this point in the show i'd like to have a bit of a quick fire question round okay um, go on. For, the, for the listeners <laughs> now head is looking slightly concerned at me but i promise you it's not that scary so are you ready i'm ready excellent do you like marmite or peanut butter marmite uh beer or wine wine i should say red or white. Oh, unless it's rebellion i'll go with rebellion oh, brewery here excellent. which i do like but on the whole um a nice glass of red excellent so the the rebellion brewery down the road will be delighted to hear that um schweppes or fever tree fever tree football or rugby <laughs> neither not really <laughs> i guess i watch more rugby because my husband watches rugby but I'm, i can't say i make a date with either <laughs> no, so more by default than choice <laughs> yeah. um tennis or cricket tennis cricket takes too long <laughs> tea or coffee tea uh, lemon or lime oh lime cats or dogs cats um beach or city breaks beach milk chocolate or dark chocolate dark chocolate and do you have a favorite city Oh, do I have a favourite city? Um, Well, depends what mood I'm in, but I think I'd probably go for one of those gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous um, Mediterranean cities like Split or something like that. Amazing, amazing, amazing history. And I mean, Split is a Roman city and just amazing. And a beach. <laughs> you could also go for Barcelona. That's also quite unusually on the coast. That's as well. true. I don't know. I've only been to Barcelona once and I was at a conference most of the time, so I don't know it so well. But yeah, ah, that would work too. There you go. Maybe yeah. one for your bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> um, describe yourself in three words. Okay, I found that quite hard and you did warn me. But anyway, um, I put creative, yeah. logical, yeah. and theatre nut job which I'm sure we're going to talk about more later too excellent I love that yeah they're they're, they're good I like those that's good and if you had a superpower what would it be so if I could do something that I can't do now I would be like to be able to sing that Ah. I would have spent my life singing in musicals which are one of my most favorite art form and which I I enjoy watching hugely but I have not felt able to participate in so if I could (laughs) sing I would sing and in fact, when we were talking about songs for the show, one of the songs I talked about was a song from Matilda, was it, it was. not? Which it is was, a fabulous, yes. fabulous musical. Yeah, um, yeah great. Excellent. That was good. I'd like to be able to sing as well. I can't sing either. So my brother and my dad took great delight in telling me. Um, and also, we like to share um, with our listeners um, business books and recommendations and yeah. podcasts. And I know yeah. you've got a, a book recommendation for us. Today yeah, so well. there, are, there are a number of books that I go back to over and over again. And one of them is actually very simple book it's called time to think by nancy klein um and in it she really kind of outlines how we don't listen to each other and because we don't listen to each other we don't encourage each other to think 
and by not encouraging each other to think, we don't think ourselves. And so she has developed such a simple set of of, of ways in, in a corporate environment. She shows how you can apply it outside the world of work, but mm. within the world of work of giving people permission to just talk. And I use this... Um, quite a lot now in the work that I do so um, she'll say to people say as you go around the room and everyone in the room has got a thought about a topic the normal way is for you to start talking Sophie and then I'll interrupt you because I've got an idea often in contradiction to your idea and then someone Mm. else will interrupt because they want their voice to be heard and at the end of it we've all talked all the time and we often haven't really got anywhere Mm. and what she advocates as one of her examples is if you go around the room and say to say to each person you have got a minute and no one is going to interrupt you and at the end of the minute no one's going to contradict you we're just going to move on to the next person and they're going to talk for a minute and you just go round. and a it's amazing the number of people who run out of something to say after 20 seconds yeah and b when everybody has listened to everybody talk for a minute we have a much, much better understanding of what we all think. And then she shows how she uses this in a coaching process by just very simply saying to people, all right, tell me what you want to talk about. So Sophie, you might be saying to me, how can I make my show better? And I might just say, let's let's talk about that for three minutes. Just tell me everything you want to tell me. And you would be very unlikely if you could talk for three minutes. And so I might go, what else? Or tell me some more about that. Nothing specific. Mm. And in that time, many, many, many people start to really think about something that they've never really thought about because their brain's gone too busy and yeah. too active. And so she combines this idea of the only way we can really think is if we're really listened to. And she gets away from the whole active listening and showing that you're listening, which is important, but what she gets to is it's about just being there and not waiting for the other person to stop but just being there and listening and listening some more and listening some more and how very quickly you can move people's thinking on doing that and so I find sometimes even if I'm on my own at work I'll go do you know what I'm just going to give myself three minutes to talk about this topic and I'll set the timer on my phone and I'm amazed that after a minute I'm looking at the phone going isn't it three minutes yet? <laughs> so you talk to yourself. I talk to myself. I talk loud. to myself a lot, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, but even just thinking in your own head, what do I really think about this? And I am a person who partly thinks by speaking out loud. And as I speak, I start engaging my brain more. Whereas yeah. when I think in my head, my mind yeah. goes off all over the place. It's, it's really interesting how different people do that. Because I, if I'm re, if I'm writing something, I will read it. Because if sometimes you write something and you can't see ah, the wood for the trees, that's true. Whereas well, if you read it out loud, you often hear anything which is not quite yeah. right. And um, yeah. so, so it's interesting that you yeah. you say that. Um, yeah, I hadn't hadn't thought of it that way before. Yeah. So um, I, that book has been recommended to me before. Actually, you're you're kind of intriguing yeah. me now and inspiring me to maybe go and, and check it out. Well, any of your listeners who are frustrated by the quality of thinking in their team, or what happens in meetings when you all seem to discuss everything all the time and you never get anywhere, I, I recommend it. It's actually. Frankly, it's usually printed on quite big pages and quite big print with lots of white space. So there's, it doesn't take that long to read. Mm. You get the ideas 
really quite quickly but she structures again it's something that should be so obvious but she forces you to make it happen Mm. in a way that everybody then knows what's happening and can understand it's a very simple book for any anyone running an organization to just pick up and use that's brilliant i find the most powerful books are if they're bound in stories or they are really simple yeah um it it has the greatest impact so no that's brilliant thank you thank you for sharing that That's That's, that's really useful so tell us a bit more about your business journey obviously you mentioned earlier that you set up 3c about 20 years ago yeah. um, um, have you always sort of worked within the hr and training sphere or, or did you have a no i've never worked in hr before then. <laughs> so um, i've got a rather different background and i'm gonna I guess partly reveal how old i am so i i always wanted to be an actress mm-hmm. um like most well, no, that I don't want to patronise people who do want to do that. But like lots of young people, that's what I wanted to do. Yep. Um, but I was very good at maths. And so my parents said, if, if you go and do your maths degree, um, we will pay for you to go to drama school for a year afterwards. So that's what I did. And I spent my time. I went to um, university in London to a college where there was no drama being taught so that anybody could go and join the drama society. And that's what I did and directed plays and all the rest of it. And then I went to drama school and I hated it. And that was a real shock after having wanted to go there so much for Mm. so long. And I really didn't like it. I learned some quite hard lessons there. But after I'd done the year, I met up with a friend from university who'd gone on a writer's course. And we decided that we would set up a theatre company together. So we set up a theatre company called Watch Theatre. And at that time, um, the simplest way to do that was we combined doing educational shows. So we did shows about maths and took them round to schools along with Shakespeare. And then in the school holidays, we did lots of community theatre. And we did that and travelled all over the country. We got a group of six or eight people together. And it was absolutely fantastic until the schools went on a work-to-rule strike and just as a bit happened with COVID, we lost a whole winter's worth of work in about 48 hours when you weren't allowed to take anything into school that wasn't actually teaching a lesson. So I kind of stopped. And what I discovered when I stopped doing that, much though I had loved it, was that I had, was a bit like banging your head against a brick wall. It's only when you stop, you realise, what was I actually doing to myself? How Hmm. hard did I work for what I got? And it was a brilliant job one day a month and the other 29 days, you just had to remember that. Mm. So by accident, out of work and all the rest of it, I fell into the paper industry. As in newspapers? No, um, uh, printing papers. Okay, printing. So I went to work for a small business in Reading called Conservation Papers that was very early on in the era of promoting recycled and environmentally friendly papers. This is back in the 80s desperately worrying how old people think I am I'm very young <laughs> it's, it's not possible Heather. What, two or three? <laughs> and I ended up working um so I went so I've been running a business running a theatre company though I had never in my life thought of it as running a business I thought mm. of it as having created life so I joined this small company and we set up within his business which was very much about selling Christmas cards and and stationery we set up a business selling recycled printing papers to business And I was put in charge of running that. And over the next three or four years, I bought that business from him. Okay. So then I ran that business in various different ways through until 1997. And by the time I'd got to that point, I had two small children and a staff of 20. And I just went, do you know what? This is actually making me make some choices I don't want to make. Mm. So I sold the business and basically worked as a consultant for a while, ended up working at a dot-com boom in London in 2000 um, because I knew all about the paper industry and it was set up in the paper industry and it all went bust 
And then you know the rest of the story. <laughs> so I basically, I had an early career in the theatre and 15 years in the global pulp and paper industry, mostly in running a business selling environmental papers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, that that's really, really diverse and very different to what you do now. You've almost had yeah. kind of three three careers. Yeah. And I, I, I love stories like that because I think so often people kind of go into, you know, when you're at school and things, or oh, what are you going to do when you grow up? And you kind of get set on this career path and people sort of think that's it, that's set for life. Mm. But it doesn't have to be that way anymore. And I love, I love listening to stories and examples where people have sort of hopped around and done totally different things. Yeah. That's awesome. I still wonder what I'm going to do when I grow up. That's a, <laughs> that's a different thing. But I think a lot of the value that I bring to the work we do now and all the people that we employ and associates, they've all had at least 10 years not working in HR and L&D, but in line management in other organisations. And I think that's part of the strength that we bring, mm. that, yes, we understand topics we're talking about and we know them, but we're bringing that understanding of organisations with us. Yeah, and I guess it's coming at it with a different perspective yeah, as well, yes. which can just provide some fresh thinking and a, and a different, yeah. different view on things, which, yeah. which is great. So... Is there anything that when you first set 3C up, is there anything that you wish you'd known or that you'd have done differently? So I actually wish that I had, in fact, stuck longer working with somebody else in the in the training industry because I didn't have a big network in the HR community at mm. that point because that had not been the business that I'd been in. And undoubtedly, it's an industry that runs... Um, that the business women runs very heavily on um, referrals and network and trusted people. Yeah. And so to be perfectly honest, if I'd spent longer working from someone else, building up that network before I set off on my own, it would have been easier. There's, mm. there's no way of getting away from that. Um, otherwise, I think by that time, I'd already sort of run quite a lot of business. I I think the main advice I would say for anyone is unless you're really sure you want to run your own business very early on, you might do better going and working for a business very like the one you want to run first Mm. so that you actually learn at your employer's expense how that industry works, what the supply chains are, what the key things are happening. So you get an idea of industry context before you start putting your own money and your own risk there. Now, that is not to say that there aren't some amazing people who set up some amazing businesses, really never having really worked for anyone else. But I think one of the reasons why we see many women who, once they've had children and face going back into the corporate world, set up their own businesses quite successfully is because actually they have absorbed a lot about how the industry that they work in, how that runs, and they're then able to use that. So it's that... It's that bit that you can only learn from experience that I kind of wish you had. Yeah, that, that's interesting you say that because quite a lot of the conversations we've had with some of the previous guests on the show is actually about doing your research into the industry. So if you are looking to make the leap maybe from a, um, a corporate role or, as you say, return to the workplace after having a family, um, and that could be mums and dads, yeah. not, not just yeah. mums, um, but doing your research into the area of the business that you want to move into is really um, yeah. is really important and, and you're just reflecting that in, yeah. in your thinking there. I think the research and... and Never underestimate the value of contacts. I think I'd got so used to my fabulous set of contacts in the paper industry that it was a bit of a shock to me when I then switched industry. I suddenly realised the value of the contacts because suddenly those contacts didn't weren't the people that I needed to be talking to now. Mm. And it's only on retrospect I realised how long it had taken to build them up. Yeah. And, you know, 
that it takes time to build trust to get to meet people for them to get to know you to yes. get you know and yeah. all of that especially if you're running a, a service business which I am and which many many small businesses are I think if you're selling I don't know lighting fixtures or something mm. then it's easier to open up your stall whether that's virtual or, or physical other people to look at their, your product and take it whether you're new on the market or not but if you're doing anything that is about providing a service mm. I think that does take time mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, and it is building that no like trust yeah. uh, model that you you reference there. So yeah. people obviously have to know who you are. They have to build some trust with you, yeah. and then like you enough to to engage in your services. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's that's good advice. What what would you say is your biggest achievement to date? I think I might know the answer to this, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in in your answer. <laughs> um, so my biggest achievement to date, um, we haven't talked about it yet. So I never let go fully of the theatre. And in March, it's a long story, but my adaptation of Nicholas Nickleby got produced on the stage of the Oxford Playhouse. And I think for me, that was an amazing achievement. And I would put that ahead of the business book. Really? O- only, only because, well, that's interesting, because the shared endeavour to get the play on seemed is so huge and is so real. And I guess the thing about the book is, of course, I finished the book 18 months ago. Yes. So yeah. in a way, I've I've almost forgotten the effort and the sense of achievement to finish it because it, I handed it in in November 2020 and mm. I really have had very little to do with it since then. Um, so I might, no, I would still say it was having my own adaptation of Nicholas Nickleby. So I, because I've still been playwriting on the side. Uh, um, I, so I knew you were in the play. I hadn't realised and appreciated that you'd actually written it I'd and written adapted it. it as well. I'd done the adaptation. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. Yeah, you kept that one quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so that is my biggest, yeah, that is a real achievement and of which I am enormously, enormously um, proud. But of course it's ephemeral. Well, I still have the script. The production isn't there. Um, the production's finished. But the book... Um, yeah, I am very proud of the business book and I think the business book will have a longevity beyond, has a, a meaning beyond me. I think yeah. it is a useful, practical handbook. And the fact that I wrote it, it is not really, I know immediately it is because I've got this business and I'm out here, I'm doing it. But the book has a value and a credibility in its own right, sure. independent yeah. of the business. And yes, I am very proud of it. It's just a bit weird with all this, <laughs> uh, which I've learned with book publishing is it's, the lead times are such that, you know, that even when the book was first published, it was then nine months since I'd finished it. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so Gosh, it's all a bit strange. A, yeah. So we're, we're going to have a, another track that you've chosen in just a moment. But before we do, what last question for you around the business. What, what does the future hold? So um, we are building the team of people that we have, but also we are producing some digital product because the book, obviously itself, a lot of what's in the book is conversations mm-hmm. and yeah. You can read a conversation, but I think it's more engaging to to see it and hear it. So, yes, we have our live theatre workshops, which is all about conversation, but we are going to be digitising some of that so that we create conversations around all sorts of different knotty problems that managers have that then they can use as as a resource into what we're doing. And I'm quite excited about that. It combines performance and writing and all the work around how we manage people together. And and your theatre as well. Sounds excellent. Well, look look forward to hearing hearing a bit more about that. Um, So certainly some big challenges out there for small business owners at the moment. But before we talk a little bit more about that, you've got another track that you've chosen for us. So um, would you explain, is there any story behind it? (laughs) So um, 
Chrissy Hind is one of the um, amazing um, women in 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 British popular music and I love lots of her work but this particular song I remember as a student and the whole thinking about it I'm special and I'm going to make you look at me and I remember it was a big sense of before we had girl power on the Spice Girls she was very <laughs> much embodied her and Debbie Harry they embodied this thing of I'm not just the pretty one on the side who's fronting this up I Actually, I'm, and I think so many young women, I would like to, you know, to my daughter and lots of other women go, you are special, you know, stand up, be the special person you are and not, not be this person who thinks they've got to please other people and, and, and achieve this or do their exams or do all of that. I think it's a great anthem for any woman, but I love it as a, as a, as an anthem for young women. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful song for them. Excellent. Lovely. So, and that is Brass in Pocket by The Pretenders. We got brass in pocket. We got battle. I'm gonna use it. Intention. I'm feeling myself. Gonna make you, make you, make you notice. Got motion. Restrained emotion. I've been diving. Detour leaning. No reason Just seems so pleasing Gonna make you Make you Make you notice Gonna use my arms Gonna use my legs Gonna use my style Gonna use my sidestep Gonna use my fingers Gonna use my 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 Legendation Cause I No one like me I'm special
welcome back. You're listening to Sophie Comas on the River Radio Let's Talk Business show. Thank you for listening in this afternoon. Today we're joined by Hedda Bird from 3C Performance Management and so far we've talked to Hedda about her background, her business journey and how she set up 3C. Don't forget if you have missed a part of today's show you can listen again via the website river.radio as a podcast via Alexa, Apple or Google and of course if you want to get in touch about any of the discussions we're having on the show today please drop me an email at sophie at river.radio. So Hedda there are many challenges faced by small business owners um, at the moment and I'm sure you must be seeing those in a lot of the work that you do. I know you work with businesses of all sizes but but also for small business owners in particular. So what, what would you say that the biggest maybe the three biggest challenges that are on the horizon for small business owners over over the next 12 months or so so and obviously it depends what sector you're in but what we do know is it's really really hard to recruit and retain staff we it's you know they're saying over half a million people have dropped out of the workforce oh wow um some through ill health and some through going do you know what i discovered a different way to live yeah in 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 lockdown and I'm just going to live differently from now on so especially if you are a small business how can you attract and retain really good people is Mm. is a huge challenge and then linked around that is obviously the things that we've already touched on about how are we going to make um, hybrid working work um, because clearly one of the things that many younger people are seeing now is that you know, if I don't have to be in the office every day in order to serve a customer, so I'm not working in a in a shop where obviously I need to be in the shop yeah. to be there, yeah. um, what flexibility have I got around work? And that's both a strength and a weakness because it means I can maybe employ people who don't live near me, mm. so that opens up the potential size opportunity for the workforce. But at the same time, how do I build my relationships with those people if then if we're not seeing them on a daily basis? And one of the big skills, and it's a huge shortage around here, is people with um, IT skills and the IT skills vary enormously but you know digitization skills coding skills mm. learning thinking about how to apply technology to new problems the, the the demand for people with good technology skills in all different areas is enormous it's yeah. huge around here because we have such a big technology sector mm. and so people are looking further and further afield for people with those skills but mm. building that is, is a real challenge yeah. so but we've t- we've seen quite a lot in i think in the hr press about this idea of the great resignation yeah. and i see lots yeah. of different statistics depending upon what research piece you're looking at but it is, i think the last one i saw was kind of three in four people and we can kind of reevaluating what's yeah. important to them thinking about if their job is the right thing to be doing so what you mentioned there about kind of resources and you know, i think it's also leading quite a lot of people to set up their own small business yeah. as well so yeah. there's a lots of opportunity with that but I, yeah. I can certainly see that that's that's a challenge on the horizon yeah yeah um okay so so we've got kind of I think we've, we've talked a little bit about motivation and engagement as yeah. well so obviously if you've got a hybrid way of working you've got people perhaps located you know maybe quite a long way yeah. away um I'm guessing that you're seeing that as a as, as a challenge in the workplace as well it is and of course that challenge varies a great deal so if we think about our younger people um you know people perhaps under 30 many of those people um don't have are still renting or don't have their own home um perhaps if they did spend two years working in their bedroom in a flat they don't want to do that anymore they want to be out there they want to be with people they want to have the social life after work they want to meet people there at that stage of their life quite regardless of the career bit you know Mm. they want to meet someone and go for a drink after work (laughs) whereas older people want to get home and want to be with the people that they met 
earlier on in their yeah. working careers. So I I think it's also quite easy for if older people and senior people who may be older who've got more stable homes and whose lives are more fixed and established and got roots where they live to forget that the younger part of the workforce is feeling very differently and is mm. thinking, I want, um, I'm, you know, I, I lost a life for two years. I sat in my bedroom for two years and yeah. either, either I was studying or I was working on teams and in video conferences and I need to get a life again. And so we need, you know, running small businesses. I know that it's a challenge because you might employ a 25-year-old and you haven't got 15 other 25-year-olds on a grad scheme for them to be friends with mm. so how can you think if I want to have a um, need some younger people coming into my workforce what can I offer them that will um, you know provide for them what they might want and they may not might not be looking for an immediate friendship group but are there things that we may be able to do so can we as a group go out can I perhaps offer very simple benefits that might enable them to connect with other people maybe a gym membership where there are other young people working mm, or you know or or maybe there's something around you know we can meet up with other local businesses and maybe set up you know a young a young people's business group so if you're part of a local CBI or part of a local networking group where all you older ones are doing the business networking maybe your younger people can yeah. meet together so I think for those of us running small businesses, finding imaginative ways that we can help those young people feel that we are on their side about what they lost out of their youth. Mm. I think that's something that we can really give to them and will be hugely engaging and motivating to them in return. Yeah, that's that's really interesting what you say there because I'm, I'm seeing workplace loneliness apparently yeah. is is a really, um, I do quite a lot in the, you know, I have a quite a lot of awareness in the mental health at work yeah. space yeah. and the, the kind of workplace loneliness, which is something I'd never really considered before, is is growing tremendously. So even yeah. if you're, um, you're in an office or even yeah. if you're in a team, that kind of sense of connectivity with yeah. your team, so creating those relationships you know to ultimately you know businesses ultimately want high performing teams but to create that kind of environment is really important so just the simple things that you mentioned there are really interesting um interesting ideas and i know one of the the conversations we were having just before we came on air this afternoon was the idea that if you if you have massive budgets to kind of support your teams actually it's very easy to do all sorts of things you know you, you can give them gym memberships or, you know, take everybody out for dinner or whatever that might look like. But actually being creative um, on a small budget is often more successful. Are there any other examples that you've got? You know, you obviously gave a great one there, but are there any other kind of ideas and examples that that work? I think the, the other thing that definitely works, and talking about loneliness at work, is buddying and mentoring schemes. Mm. But we don't need to be mentored by somebody who's 20 years older than us and got 20 years of experience. You know, you might get a mentoring scheme from somebody who's one or two years older. And if your organisation is tiny and there's no one in your organisation who could pass buddy or mentor, then again, I would look around and go, if you're established in the local area, you probably know other smaller businesses. Can you connect with them? Or go to one of the few bigger businesses around the area and say, look, you know, are you, have you got some young people who are looking to become leaders who might need some experience in mentoring or coaching? So, can we do something whereby they might engage with some of my people and then you find a way to perhaps 
get your young person connected into that bigger group. Now, I know immediately many business people will go, oh, but then I risk that bigger company stealing that person. Mm. And actually, I mean, you can put in place some things that, that, that would minimise the chance of that. But the point is, if you are providing something to your employee that they really value, they're not going to go no. to the other place, that they're going to connect those things with with you. And if there was a job at the other place and they go, you might have lost them anyway, but what you've done is you've lost somebody who loved you, mm. who valued what you did, and so makes it easier to recruit. So just one other short tip. In um, in Henley, there is a cafe. Um, I'm not going to say which cafe it is, but there is a cafe. <laughs> um, there's part of a bigger chain. And um, many of the young people who used to go and work in that cafe were people who basically didn't want to work there. So they were students who just graduated who would were waiting for another job, mm, in essence. Yeah. So they were all there kind of doing it in order to do something else. Yeah. And that's quite a tricky management challenge. And the woman who ran it found it very difficult because she felt nobody wants to be here. I'm having to do this. And eventually, when I, by the time I talked to her, she turned it around and she said, I decided to make it a benefit that nobody wanted to be here. So instead of them all whispering in corners about who'd got an interview or who'd got a job, I made it a positive conversation. So what are you hoping to achieve? Where are you going? Um, Who's had a job interview? And so whenever anybody did get, you know, the big job they wanted, they would celebrate it and they would move on. And that's a lovely way to kind of flip it on its it's head. It flipped its on its head. And what happened was, and it's still happening even post-COVID, sorry, I'm almost crying at this point, (laughs) is that... It became a place where all these bright young people wanted to go and do their what I do while I'm waiting for another job work. Mm. So that even though it's very hard to recruit people to do those jobs in a place like Henley, actually she didn't really struggle because it became no, it's known that if you go there, it's kind of great and it's full of young, ambitious people who all want to go on and do things rather than everybody feeling like, oh, I'm only here because I haven't got the right and I, job. And I guess what, what she creates, because she creates that positive yeah. atmosphere, I guess when they're working from home and they want some, you know, they don't want to just sit in their bedrooms, yeah. you know, because a lot of us are working flexibly at that's home. True. That's, that's true. probably where they go. They go. They'll probably yeah, bring, bring positive um, things in. And yeah. like you say, from a recruitment perspective, yeah. while yeah. she may have a high turnover of staff, actually she's bringing in really good, intelligent people to provide great customer service to her customers so actually it's it's really an interesting way that that it's fascinating isn't it so Mm. she turned what in any context could have been an and is a really difficult for lots of people employing staff in those high turnover relatively low paid jobs that most people want to go somewhere else Mm. and she turned that into well let's make that something that we celebrate rather than something that we have to pretend we're not talking about and yeah. what a brilliant tip what yeah. a brilliant thing absolutely. she did absolutely yeah absolutely so we're we're nearly um drawing to the conclusion of our, our show um head of this afternoon okay. so thank you ever so much for joining right. us on on river radio and let's talk business there's there's a lot more debate i know we could have about the the challenges faced by small business owners today i know there's some things that we didn't get a chance to cover <laughs> so there you go you, you'll have to come back and join us another day um but it's been really brilliant to hear about your business journey and thank you for sharing that with us and 
about the unique way that 3C approach some of the things that they talk about with their clients. So thank you for sharing that. Um, if somebody wanted to find out a bit more about your business or wanted to get in touch with you for anything because that, that, they like what they've heard this afternoon, what's the best way for them to do that? So they can find the website, which is um, 3C, number three, letter C, perform co.uk because it covers theatre and performance um, <laughs> the other thing is frankly if you go and google head a bird you won't find many of us and so you'll <laughs> find me very very quickly on linkedin or or um the, the business the website so it's pr- i'm actually pretty easy to find excellent that's brilliant well thank you ever so much for joining us this afternoon Heather. thank you so next week fiona's going to be back on the show with the fabulous alison joshi a creative designer from jjb jwj design need to get my teeth in for that if you have any questions about today's show or you've got a question for Alison next week then please email sophie at river.radio we've also got some more great shows coming up on the river radio network across the the rest of the week tonight between seven and eight we've got extra time with will taylor on friday at nine o'clock till midnight we've got the social with mark he's got dmc world mixing champion chad jackson joining him so that's something to look forward to monday four till five we've got magic moments with patrick and he has the winner of britain's got talent 2016 on the show he's got magician richard edwards of course if you have missed a part of today's show you can listen again via the website river.radio or via your podcast via alexa apple or google so all that leaves me to do is to wish you a very good week i will see you next time and look forward to leave you with dolly tumble out of bed and i stumble to the kitchen pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five What a way to make a living Barely getting by It's all taken and no giving They just use your mind And they never give you credit Just a step on the boss man's ladder But you've got dreams he'll never take away In the same boat with a lot of your friends Waiting for the day your ship will come in And the tide's gonna turn And it's all gonna roll your way Working nine to five